music, athletics, arts, and entertainment. The Desert Tiger Podcast with Colton Geschwader. Comedy is a funny business. Not so much in the haha funny way that you would think so, but in the way that the people who perform it go about doing so. There are so many ways to make somebody laugh. Some days, the crowd is on your side and it's really simple. They eat up every single moment and they're with you for the entire journey. Some days, somebody on their cell phone or someone talking to a friend in their crowd can throw off your entire set. Most comedians, these champions of smiles, have learned to go with the flow, conquering this offset with a barrage of humor. Whether it be for 5, 15, or 30 minutes, a good set can take years of dedication, with a ton of soft responses before one is truly ready. And is one ever actually truly ready in a world that turns so fast? I would have to argue yes, because a good comedian can slow down those moments for those who actually wish to enjoy the ride. Stealing the cares of the world joke after joke, using storytelling, events, or personal history, and a little bit of imagination to push it all in the right direction. Amber Harper Young is a stand-up comic who has spent many years practicing, performing, and molding her craft. Starting out in Toronto, Ontario, where she has worked some pretty interesting jobs that you will hear about in order to support her need, her addiction to perform, while she learned the ropes. Amber quickly rose after taking a introductory course into stand-up comedy and began performing on various festivals and even eventually traveled to New York and Melbourne. After a while though, Amber's ambitions led her to Vancouver, British Columbia, where the comedic landscape had many, many opportunities waiting for her. Amber quickly thrust her foot in the door of the British Columbia comedy scene by competing in BC's Funniest Female in 2014, where she is the proclaimed, unofficial, disqualified winner. She has continued to perform over the years, creating comedy shows with other Vancouver-based comedians, including The Vancouverite Show, which was actually selected for not just one, but two just for laughs northwest festivals in 2016 and again in 2017 amber's style of self-depreciating humor immediately connects with the audience as she compares herself to a cracked out taylor swift among many other comparisons she continues through her set where if she's in the right mood even jokes about her mother's cancer and passing are complete fair game after personally watching her perform, I was more than happy with my first live comedy experience, and I can say for myself, Amber is straight funny, and it is an absolute pleasure that I got to talk to her for this podcast. Welcome to episode 10 of the Desert Tiger podcast, and I am your host, Colton Geschwantner. Alright, you know before we get to our interviews, we always, always play a song. So today, on a day where we feature a comedian, someone who doesn't play their own style of music, 
we like to feature somebody else, someone who maybe I don't have the opportunity to interview in person. So today on the podcast, we are going to feature a song by Old State. Old State play their own brand of melancholic rock, and they have one goal, to make music that speaks with raw emotion and to be a beacon of compassion and understanding to those who were lost. Throughout the writing of their sophomore EP perspectives, the band may have gone through a couple of members and a couple of sounds, but they eventually settled on what is the idea of Old State. With influences spanning alt-punk to midwestern emo to folk, there's no wonder why they had a bit of a time settling on a sound, but I'm glad that they did and I hope that you are too. David Fernandez, Aaron Buchanan, Skippy, and Shad Hillis have recently recorded a new EP entitled Wait that's going to be coming really soon, but we're going to give you something off of perspectives. We're going to give you a song that starts off slow and builds up as it goes and sort of shows you all of the influences and abilities of what Old State has in their capabilities. The song that we're gonna play for you today is Shorts Guy by Old State.
We're here with Amber Harper Young. Yes. Hello and welcome Hello. to the Desert Tiger Podcast. Oh, thank you for having right. me. No, no worries at all. So, where are you from, Amber? I'm from Brantford, Ontario. From Brantford, Ontario. Mm-hmm. Is that where you grew up? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was born in England, in Durham, England. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was only there uh, as an infant. And then okay. my mom and dad flew back with my two older sisters. And uh, out of all places, they uh, made their home in Brantford. Okay, so. so were your parents originally from Canada or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just was like on a whim. They wanted to live in England and... Uh, my dad was managing a pub there, and my family was living over top of the pl- the pub with my oh. two older <laughs> twin sisters. So, hmm. good yeah, good yeah. environment to raise children in for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can see some formative things already while I was in the womb. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. sometimes where you start off is where you end up, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, uh, do you have any uh, best or worst memories from growing up? Or oh yeah, um, I don't maybe think about this time. It's uh, actually probably a very uh, interesting moment for for me because I'm uh, well. Right now, I'm a pescatarian, but all my life I've been a vegetarian until like about five years ago. Okay, so for those that don't know the difference, what is a pescatarian? Pescatarian uh, eats fish. Okay. Yeah. Um, before that, I was an ovo-lacto-vegetarian, so I was oh. only eating animal byproducts. Okay. And so the memory that I have, I think, when I think about it, it's very traumatic. Okay. <laughs> memory, and it was um, a lot of the times our household cats would bring home animals you know, oh, no. dead animals yeah. <laughs> uh, to show their prize mm-hmm. or, you know, like, uh, to show, Love me because yeah. <laughs> I've protected you from this yeah, bird. <laughs> uh, to show their triumphs. And um, one of the times I was out in the backyard and I noticed my cat was chasing a baby rabbit. Uh-huh. And uh, the rabbits... Okay, so the, the cat was chasing on a very steep hill that was, like, just, like, sort of at the end of our backyard... There was a steep hill, and it was like a forest-like uh, sort of scenario. But there was a fence before the forest. Yeah. Anyway, on the the beginning of the steep uh, incline, they were there's the chase taking place, uh, the foot chase of the rabbit and the cat. But the cat had already got struck the rabbit, and the rabbit's intestines were coming out oh. of its body while it was running. And then I was chasing after the cat, so it was like this. It kind of, now that I think about it, it's sort of funny, like in a Benny Hill sort of way, like this weird chase, <laughs> this weird sequence chase, but it's also like terrifying. Cat kind of chasing a string of intestines <laughs> being followed by you. Yeah, and like I'm like, like screaming, crying, and then, you know, my cat's obviously not stopping from me doing oh, that. Oh, definitely not. And then, yeah, so that was... As far as pretty, it knows, you're cheering brutal. it on. Hmm? As far as your cat knows, you're cheering it on, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's what they think the animals, right? They, they're very happy with themselves. Um, so, yeah, I think that that sort of caused me maybe to realize, like, yeah, I was a sensitive person and that I didn't really want to ha- take the lives of animals if it wasn't necessary. Okay. Um, because I've seen some pretty 
like brutal thing. Yeah, no, no doubt at all. Yeah. I can definitely see how that like would Like a cute away. little baby rabbit, you know, so sad. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that was one of my worst memories for sure. <laughs> I also saw, there's actually a really, another really bad memory where my sister, she dislocated her kneecap from oh, her. Oh my. Yeah, so it went to like the side, she was coming off of like, she, she was running down a hill mm-hmm. into the basketball there's a hill and then the basketball court and she came off the curb and her knee slipped to the side of her leg where yeah. like not the bending part <laughs> and she tore ACL yeah Ouch. so I was there sort of to see her endure that pain and then also in the hospital room when they took they kept to relieve the swelling they kept taking more and more blood of her, of her knee mm-hmm. and uh yeah, it was pretty hard to handle. Yeah, that'd be a little traumatic as well, possibly. Yeah, yeah. I never, like, almost fainted in my life until that point. <laughs> I had to leave the room because I thought I was going to pass out. I, I could believe that. And then my mom was, like, kind of happy to see that, like, I think she thought I didn't have feelings up until that point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my child has a soul. <laughs> yeah, she's happy to see I had a soul, yeah. It's always a good feeling to know. Yeah. For people. She knew I yes. had a soul for animals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she does actually care about more than just pets. <laughs> and herself, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so when did you decide you wanted to get started in stand-up comedy? In stand-up comedy? It's well, a Or just time. in comedy in general. <laughs> um, y- you know what? I will say, like, in the back of my mind... Yeah. Um, I feel like all my life I have wanted to be making people laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, in the back of my mind, like watching like in Living Color and Mad TV mm-hmm. and Saturday Night Live, like I I knew I wanted to do that. Kind of like wanted the golden to, era of sketch comedy. There. Yeah, like I just loved uh, all that type of entertainment. I was yeah. really big on like I was like when Jim Carrey first came out and that beginning scene in Ace Ventura like Mm -hmm. even now when I watch it I get such nostalgia like from like (laughs) the beauty and simplicity of just him like busting up that parcel like (laughs) it's so amazing and yeah so I think in the back of my mind I always wanted to do it but I just wasn't brave enough to admit it okay I think it's like sort of like one of those things that you do right when you know it's going to be tough yeah. So you don't want to admit that that's what you want. You don't want to admit that that's your dream. So. Well, it's hard to put yourself on a stage in front of people and actually present yourself. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I knew I could do it, like, in person. Like, I mm-hmm. did it to my friends. That's how I made friends. Yeah. I was making them laugh. And, uh, you know, that's just uh, the person that I was already. Mm-hmm. But to level it up to the like actual real point that it could be that took a very long time all right so when did you get started in like what was the process for getting Um, into it then well first i think the process was just acknowledging that i was a creative person Mm -hmm. uh took art like visual art in high school okay and um basically just focused on that and then a lot of um, external stuff happened like people would tell me I wasn't funny are you in drama are you yeah. taking acting and like it didn't even really occur to me 
like I was that clueless about myself in a way. Yeah. And so then when I went to uh, university for fine art, I ended up dropping out. And I think that that main thing, the main reason with that was, yeah, I didn't have so much discipline, but I think it was just like I was on the wrong path. Yeah. So um, way, way late in the game, like I was dropped had dropped out of university was just waitressing was just sort of like understanding I wasn't happy with my life uh, maybe on the precipice of becoming an alcoholic in a small town in Aurelia Ontario was my first boyfriend I was living there and I realized I wanted to go back and go to school and figure out if I could act figure yeah. out if I could perform if mm -hmm. I had the the talent and if I could discipline myself to a point where I have never been able to discipline myself before mm -hmm. like because I could get into university but I couldn't yes. keep myself there so yeah, I so wanted to challenge. see if there was another thing that might drive me uh, to the extent of actually being able to like have that concentration okay something that actually like you had the passion enough for to yeah because like with the art you know I love art I've done it all my life it's very fun for me but I think I, I don't know what it was about the, the art I think the thing that I need amongst my art is the interaction of people yeah or the communication with people and I felt that fine art was void of that Mm -hmm, and so like definitely. I found more like when you do ensemble work that's super fun and then like also when you're just like talking to an audience like uh, whether you're doing crowd work or not you're still talking to the audience yeah and whether you're like you're being vulnerable mm -hmm. yeah so um, I, I feel like that's just more the person like I naturally was it took a while I was about 24 I took a one-year program at Sheridan uh, I had this monologue at the end of the year where I went into this weird creative zone and I blacked out and then I asked my instructors if I should keep acting and they said, oh yeah, definitely. And get an agent and go to Toronto and uh, Second City will help you with auditions to so start to take some improv. Okay. So I got into Second City, I took the A3E, but then I took the conservatory program there. All right. Where they teach you how to do like a whole sketch review mm -hmm. and so uh, we started doing that the, the, the interesting thing there though was I was had already started doing stand-up on my own okay so I already knew I wanted to do stand-up as well mm -hmm. and uh, I was sort of splitting my focus and uh, really getting into the stand-up and I got like recognized very early for like uh, this thing called the Tim Sims Encouragement Award. I was nominated amongst like 15 or 16 people in Toronto. That was back in 2010? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so that gave me like a little boost of confidence and them doing, putting the review together with the ensemble. And, you know, I just kept studying improv because I loved it and uh, also just doing a stand-up and basically seven years later, here I am. Huh. <laughs> yeah. So, in Kamloops with you. <laughs> yeah, so how did you end up in Vancouver then? Oh, um, so about two and a half years uh, into the stand-up, which is probably the hardest two and a half years of my life, but okay. also, uh, yeah, very tough two and a half years because of the learning curve. 
Yes. It's of just you gotta get comfortable on stage, you're dealing with so much, but you're also accumulating all your material and like what you're gonna be talking about for like the mm-hmm. next Remembering year. it on stage. Yeah, understanding the nuance that you have to bring to like. Building it in a routine that actually flows well. Yeah, and yeah, that was just so hard for, for me to endure, especially in Toronto, it's such a big pool of talent. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not an aggressive person. Okay. Naturally. Mm-hmm. But you have to, if you don't have aggression as a stand up comedian, you definitely have to know how to assert yourself, which is something I also didn't know how to do. Okay. <laughs> so I'm like sitting there, this very laid back person in a yeah. like sort of doggy dog sort of <laughs> scenario. So it was uh, quite difficult for me at the beginning. But uh, you form like good relationships, and like those are the things I think in the end that sort of get you to like some nice points some like uh, great memories and like some just like career sort of uh, I don't know like benchmarks or something oh, right. yeah, yeah yeah so so yeah so um, I ended up actually working as a strip club waitress for Ooh. yeah to <laughs> subsidize my um, stand-up comedy habit so the reason why that worked out was because in a, like a few to four nights of work mm-hmm. then I could be out those three to four other nights of the week yeah um, be basically just hustling the circuit so all the open mics any like book shows that I had and then like looking to see like how quickly he could get on transit to those uh, the surrounding shows that you <laughs> might be able to get a last minute spot on. Yeah, to see or, how many places you could hit. Yeah, in that and like period. just really, really hustling the scene. And uh, <laughs> sometimes I would like even take taxis from my work if I was doing a double. Mm-hmm. I would take you know my hour break, take a taxi to or from huh. a show. Like yeah, just like you really. That's how you have to roll in Toronto. <laughs> that's yeah. like one thing you really realize fast there. So I ended up meeting my current boyfriend at the strip club I work at. He was <laughs> he was a dancer. No, uh, he <laughs> he was security. So okay. yeah, so um, we were friends for about a year, mm-hmm. and then you know I just sort of had had it with the city. I was living in a rough neighborhood. I was working yeah. at this job, which I didn't understand how I had been at this job for like eight years worked in two different clubs for eight years but you know it got me through for that little while so uh yeah just moved out here I heard they needed some like more experienced women okay and I heard also that there could be potential for more paid gigs out this way okay so I was thinking you know if I uh if I travel to a smaller pond Mm mm-hmm uh, where I, I saw a couple of the comics that had like come out to Toronto from BC. Yeah. And um, I really did like the style of comedy that was coming out of the, the province too. So like it gave me an extra like boost of confidence and comfort uh, seeing like uh, this one specific uh, comedian. He was just in JFL last year. His name's Ross Doak. Okay. And uh, he just had something that like I felt like the Toronto scene didn't have. Mm-hmm. And also, I felt like I had, like, this basic thing, the basic starting blocks 
yeah. to become a comedian. And the best thing for me to do would be to diversify. And I had no kids. There's nothing holding me there. I've always wanted to see BC. I hadn't even yeah. seen it. Oh, really? So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, why not? And me and my boyfriend moved out here. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, a little bit more room to grow your comedy routine and not as many fish over here, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah it worked on a lot of levels. Like yeah. It, it worked in a way where whenever you move anywhere, uh, you get scared. Yes, especially definitely. Especially as a performer. I just moved so. to Kamloops literally two weeks ago, so I know exactly what wow. you mean. <laughs> yeah, so, like, especially doing this right now, yeah. it's one of the things that you need to keep doing, and it's uh, also, like, very important um, for you to understand now, like, what Kamloops can offer you mm-hmm. that wherever else you lived can't well it's Kamloops has so many more people traveling through it and mm-hmm. I'm that much closer to closer to Vancouver which has so many more interview opportunities and mm-hmm. so many different musicians and comedians and entertainers traveling through yeah. the area that it's just my opportunities not only as a musician and a promoter but also as a podcast interviewer it's fantastic yeah and like that's the thing too is like I came out here uh, for a number of different reasons mm-hmm. but um, like something that worked out really cool for me was I was getting on a lot more frequently at the Yuck Yucks in Toronto and so when I left when I came out to BC BC had the Vancouver Club yeah. but then also opened a Victoria Club mm-hmm and an Abbotsford club. Oh, wow. So they already knew me. Mm-hmm. Then I moved to BC. Then they opened two more clubs associated with them. I wasn't signed with them. Yeah. But once I had sort of, sort of got my footing in BC, uh, Mark Reslin uh, came out and saw a bunch of comedians and signed me because okay. he already knew me from the last club. He had seen me a couple times, which I didn't realize, which was really cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it just, it somehow, like, it worked out for them to know that I was, like, committed comic. Yeah. Like, that I was in it. That they could see that you've done it across the country. And and I wasn't, like, going to quit anytime Mm -hmm. soon, and I was a reliable person who they knew uh, can be consistent. Yeah, well, after seven or eight years, you've definitely have to have built that sort of trust in some people right and it's yeah good that they i mean have that. i don't even know if it's full-blown 100 percent trust but you know you got to start somewhere so, well and that's yeah. it is you can even if it's not 100 percent now that's it's building blocks right yeah it's yeah. still building blocks yeah so that really worked out well for me and it wasn't really something that i planned or foresaw but uh it was nice All right, we're going to take a small break from our interview with Amber Harper-Young, but no worries, because after a little bit of talking, we're going to get right back to it. Winter's on its way, and if you're like me, you need new and fresh clothing to keep you warm before this holiday season. And if you are, look no further than worthless streetwear. These guys are killing it right now, straight out of the Canadian Badlands with their simple, sleek, and stylish line of clothes just before the holidays. You heard me tell you how items are moving fast and I wasn't kidding. 
The entire Pinkerton line is gone, folks. That's right, gonzo. And that's not the only thing that's sold out so far. But what I haven't told you is that these items are only available for a limited time. November 19th, and it's all gone. That's how unique this is. That's how fresh Worthless Streetwear wants you to be. Limited numbers and a limited time. So hurry on over to worthlessstreetwear.com and cop yourself a pastel pullover with every letter a different color and stitch separately. I already got my negative pullover, so get on over to worthlessstreetwear.com and get your gear today. That's all I have to do for talking right now, so let's get back into our interview with stand-up comedian Amber Harper Young. The Desert Tiger Podcast. Okay, so you uh, briefly touched on how BC didn't really have much for female comics at the time when you moved here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You actually ran a couple shows that featured female comics and actually raised money for female-based charities. Would you like to speak a little bit on that? Like, is the female comic scene here, like, kind of tight-knit, or...? Um, it's growing, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Right now, it's, like, the biggest in Vancouver that I've ever seen. Yeah. And um, in the past, yeah, I've run this show called Hardcore Girls. And yeah. And we've donated to, because I'm a girl, um, initi- initially. <laughs> initially, we were donating to that. And I started uh, the show in Toronto, actually. Oh, really? Which is uh, cool, but I hadn't really run it, like, only a few times. Okay. Only, like, two or three times. And uh, then I thought, hey, like, what better thing to do than promote more women on stage? Definitely. So, um, also, I came from, like, a a class before, I think, yeah, before I got accepted into the conservatory at Second City, I was always also simultaneously taking classes with Donna Whitwell. Okay. um, Who teaches this course called Comedy Girl. Mm Mm-hmm. And then um, there's two courses you can take, Comedy Big Girl is the next one. And I actually met two of my very close friends in Toronto, and I'm still very close with them. And they're both still doing comedy, and one just performed in Just for Laughs that just passed. Oh, fantastic. Who's that? Uh, Natalie Norman. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it's like, it's sort of like you got to bring those roots through... Mm -hmm. Like, that's something that's just kind of like your responsibility, I think, in a way, like... Yeah, definitely. You know, if, if you're not staying true to those things... Um, now, under, on the other hand, I want to say, uh, I, haven't done, I haven't produced a show recently, and one reason is because I also see a sort of pattern developing in uh, different communities. Yeah. Uh, uh, with this segregation of male and female Mm -hmm. and the the reason why I'm not producing the show anymore is because it should be we should all be harmonizing we shouldn't be yeah we should all be equals we should all be treated the same way so I feel like in a way sometimes doing the all-female show Mm -hmm. is um, really sort of reinstating the past yeah, definitely. And it's not allowing... It's causing more of a divide instead of 
Mm-hmm. Like I, could, I could definitely see that, how it starts to yeah. help in the beginning, but almost like as society seems to turn. Yeah, as, like, as much as I want uh, that all lady energy and like that yeah. supportive sort of environment, I also have to think like what kind of actual impact it's making in the long term. Okay. And I don't know that as somebody who's struggled for seven years, mm-hmm. whether it be that I'm a female or not, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if I want to keep running it. Like I think yeah. in the past it, I have, and it's done at sort of its, it's sort of been its positive uh, thing for me. And like I said, it's very true to like how I grew into becoming a comic. But it's also, on the other hand, yeah, something I, I um, debate a lot in my own head and mm-hmm. consider a lot because okay. it's it's uh, just like it's got to stop, it's got to end. Like this male female, like it's not even about that anymore, male or no, female. No, it's not. And it's not about like what even body you're capsized in anymore, <laughs> like. It's well, it's it. for a long time there was like a very like there was a lot of thoughts about female comedians but people have started to grow past that which is a very good thing yeah and well, I think it's already very passe mm-hmm. so you know I don't mind saying yes to being on an all female show yeah but I definitely just don't want to perpetuate it okay. the all female show you would rather perpetuate we belong uh, alongside uh, men you definitely do. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it shouldn't be a matter of sex. It should be a matter of caliber. Yes. And hard work and talent, mm-hmm. and those are the people who should be on whatever shows. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So, when was your first show? Do you remember what your expectation was walking <laughs> into it, and what was the reaction like? Um, my first show, I believe, was at Comedy Bar in Toronto. Um, it was one of the comedy girl shows that okay. it's like the showcase at the end of the class that mm-hmm. Don puts on. Um, now I had uh, expectation of extreme failure, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's not what happened. Oh, that's good to hear. Uh, then <laughs> it went really well because I was quite prepared and disciplined, mm-hmm. which I really didn't see in myself probably before that night. Like, That's I didn't good. actually think I was capable of the kind of discipline that I had that evening, which was super empowering. That's um, good. Yeah, the, uh, the flip side of it was I blacked out. So, like, I have no memory really? of it. Huh. Because what happens uh, sometimes when your nerves are so high is you just don't remember. Well, Billy Joel himself has that exact same thing where he doesn't remember a single thing he does on stage sometimes. <laughs> yeah. He'll come off yeah. and be like, oh, what did I do? Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very similar, like, instance to, like, my end monologue in college. I had, like, this weird, like, my acting teacher was trying to tell me it was, like, some kind of weird creative trance you go in. But mm-hmm. I didn't black out of that. Like, I vaguely remember that. Okay. But I felt like I was outside of my body or mm-hmm. something. By the, the stand-up, I, I totally don't remember any of the, hmm. They put it on tape which I probably will not revisit anytime soon but uh, <laughs> but yeah so I had like a DVD of it or something somewhere but yeah okay. 
All right, your style is described as upbeat while still being a little self-depreciating and is based on your life experiences. How does one keep an upbeat energy while joking about tragedy within their life? Oh, well, that's the only way it works is comedy. I know, right? If you don't <laughs> keep an upbeat energy about the dark things, then it's not comedy any longer. Mm -hmm. We just come out like this is the best way to, uh, the best mood you can be in, that's when you tell all your dark stuff. Yeah. If you're in a dark mood, you got to go with the silly, dumb stuff. Because yeah. it's just not, it's the, the way I feel like uh, I operate yeah. is that, you know, comedy helps me as much as it helps anyone else. Mm -hmm. So if I'm like looking to heal myself or like um, sort of solve a sort of mood blunder for, my, for me, mm -hmm. um, it's definitely more interesting for people to watch mm -hmm. that way. And it's not going to be funny if you're actually very depressed and you're just sitting there talking about a list of depressing that, things. That's very true. <laughs> it is very true. If you can't laugh at it yourself, why would anybody else, right? Yeah. The, the reason why I know that is because I uh, produced this show called The Tragedy Show. And I was actually going to ask you about yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, um, I produced it with Alex uh, Sparling, who's now moved to Prince George, I think. Prince George. And... Um, I had to work through a lot of material that was like about my mom's death and oh, wow. uh, I put myself up to it. He put mm -hmm. me up to it, I put myself up to it, but he also was put up to uh, telling the story of losing his eye. Oh. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> we both had a very unbearable tasks afoot and then also anyone on our show that we had booked it was had quite heavy stories. So. That was our big challenge, is yeah. like, how do we do this? And they say tragedy plus time equals comedy. Yeah. And, um, you know, I will, I will say the first and second show were very difficult because it was still too close to the, the time where I've lost, I, I lost my mom. So. Yeah. So it was very uh, interesting to work through and um, very difficult to do some nights. Yeah. Some nights, sure. um, you know, I was in a good mood. You know, mm -hmm. some nights I was like not taking it so seriously. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, that's also just the process of writing, too. So, like, it Definitely. doesn't even necessarily have to do with if it's dark or not. It's just new writing mm -hmm. is always hard to work out and it's not going to be perfect or funny right away. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah so now I try to tell that stuff those jokes I have a few jokes that are still in my regular repertoire about my mom and uh, you know I have some very happy memories and then I also have some like dark uh, jokes about her dying and I only tell those dark ones when I'm being super silly and I'm feeling yeah. super yeah because then uh, no one feels that, you know, heaviness that yeah. nobody carries on that if weight. If you're not in the right mood, you might present it wrong in yeah. a way that might make people feel a little bit awkward, possibly. Or, or like, make them question if it's a comedy show or not. True like, enough. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to, you know, suffer an audience. Like, I don't want 
people who pay good money to come mm -hmm. to see comedy mm -hmm. be upset that it, true. it wasn't like happy. So, it's true. All right. but I will say both, mm -hmm. even the even the non dust stuff. Though I'm quite dark. All right. Well, I think we've ran pretty much almost as long as you would like to. So if I can fit in one more question, if yeah. we could. What is the dumbest rumor you have ever heard about yourself? About me? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'm like that important that anyone's talking. <laughs> <laughs> Might be a good thing. Um, oh, that's a tough one. Like I said, like, when I leave my ringer on, Nobody's calling, like, <laughs> and I'm leaving my ringer on while a show's happening. I'm always worried about it, but I shouldn't be because, like, nobody's calling me. And it's not because I don't have friends. I have, like, some, a few close friends, but mm -hmm. I don't think that anyone's threatened by me. I don't think that anyone would start a rumor if they have. I haven't gotten wind of it, but... It's okay. Um, I've had... I've uh, had it once where somebody came up to me and asked me like, so how are your, how are your kids for Halloween? Like, what did they dress up as? And I was like, I don't have kids. So like, everybody told me you had kids. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, where did this come from? <laughs> uh, yeah, I wish I had a cool rumor like that. <laughs> now I'm like gonna be like upset that this hasn't happened. Oh yeah, I was like, no, I, I dressed my imaginary children up as Batman and a, and a minion, like. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna ask around. Uh, <laughs> Just to find out now. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining oh, us thank today, you. Amber. It was fun. Thanks. All right. I want to give a big shout out and a huge thank you to Amber Harper Young for joining me on the Desert Tiger podcast. We were running on a little bit of a schedule, so we had to tie things up a little bit earlier than we wanted to, but we got you about as much information as we could in that timeline. You can find Amber on Facebook and Twitter at Amber Harper Young. I highly suggest you go and do that, and if you're out in Vancouver, maybe check out some of her stand-up comedy, as she is hilarious live, as I can attest to you. I also want to give a big shout out to Worthless Streetwear. Simple, sleek, and stylish. You can go over and get it at worthlessstreetwear.com, but do it before November 19th, before you run out of time. Alright, I also want to give a huge, a massive shout out to you, the listener of the Desert Tiger Podcast, because without you, we have nobody to entertain. No reason to do this at all. So without you, we wouldn't do this. And we love doing this. So thank you so very much for hitting that play button or that subscribe button. Whether it's on iTunes, whether it's on Google Play, whether it's on Stitcher, CastBox, Castify, whatever you're listening on. You can find us on Facebook at Desert Tiger Entertainment. You can find us on Twitter at Desert Tiger Pod. And you can Find us on Instagram at Desert Tiger Podcasts. We are very thankful that you joined us here today, and we have a very special episode for you next Thursday. If you are in the pop punk scene, maybe you've heard of Calling All Captains. 
maybe you know that Calling All Captains are about to depart ways with their singer on a show that happens today when this releases. But don't worry, folks. If you can't make it to Edmonton, Alberta, I'm going for you. That's right. Desert Tiger is going to get the interview for the final show that Calling All Captains has with my good friend, Mike Milan. Thank you for listening very much to the Desert Tiger Podcast. I hope you have a great day. And always, we have to leave you with a quote. I don't know where this quote comes from, so I'm very sorry, folks. But the quote for today is, Don't fear failure. Fear being in the exact same place next year as you are today. The Desert Tiger Podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. iTunes, Google Play Music, and Stitcher. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Thanks for listening.